I'm very excited for uh, where we are in the series. And uh, if you're taking notes, I want you to go ahead and write this down. Dakota said the title. The title for tonight is Welcome to the Working World. Welcome to the Working World. And we addressed this uh, idea last week a little bit. Uh, We talked about what it means to grow up and be under authority last week. And I told you that this week we're going to be talking about your first full-time job. And that's exactly where we're going to land. So in this series, the heart of this series goes back to why our ministry exists. Our ministry exists to reach college students for Christ and then equip them for this season and the next. And so it's so cool, as I said, to look across this room and see on a cold night in the middle of the semester, so many of you coming out to worship, this is an abnormal thing. Your generation largely is not pursuing Christ. Your generation is, and people your age are pursuing the world and pursuing personal gain and pursuing selfish gain. And so for you to be here in the house of the Lord doesn't mean you're perfect, doesn't mean I am, but it does mean you are trying to at least pursue the Lord and draw closer to him. And that's a big praise. So thank you for being here tonight. Nobody in here is, nobody in here has it all together. We love to say that here at The View because the first time I came to the college ministry as a student in 2016, I was a student at U of M, and I came to college ministry, and I was very far from being a Christian. When I came, it looked like everybody had it all together, and I was the one who didn't. And then you get to know people, you realize that Christians are not perfect, but they are trying to grow closer to Jesus. And that's what this place is. It's a place of imperfect people worshiping the perfect God, and we have the chance to do that together. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. It's something that we get to do together. And so in that... As we do this season of college and young adult and 20s together, this is a big deal, the working world. Some of you work part-time jobs. Some of you maybe work full-time jobs already and you're close to graduating or you're doing your master's. Many of you are still doing school and you're getting ready to step into the working world. But it's a very, very big topic. Now, I hope you'll get as excited with me as you can. We cheer for the word of God. If you'll open up in your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 3 tonight. Amen. Come on. So Colossians chapter 3. There was a time in my life when I was anxious and almost nervous, sick over getting a full-time job after college. I remember what that feeling was like. Some of you know that feeling very well. I've had four different full-time jobs in my life. The first one was I was a full-time basketball coach at Bartlett High School. My second full-time job was a high school ministry director here at Bellevue. I worked in the student ministry. Many of you don't know that. My third full-time job was a full-time college director, Dakota's job. I did his job a number of years ago. And then my fourth full-time job is the one I'm in. I'm a college pastor here at Bellevue. So I've had four full-time jobs. I've coached and I've done ministry. Coaching and pastoring are very, very different, but they have some real similarities. One is not better than the other. I love them both. Coaching and pastoring have some similarities, but they're also very different. So when I came into pastoring, there were some things I brought from coaching, but there was a lot that was different. One is, in the coach's world, you've got to get there early as a coach. I mean, you are supposed to beat all the players there. I was getting there at 4.30 in the morning for workouts. Kids were getting there at 5.30. When I started on staff at Bellevue, I asked one of my new coworkers, I said, hey, so work is at 8.30, so are you going to get here about 7.30? And he laughed. <laughs> He's like, brother, we, we don't do that. We get to work at 8.30. And I was like, man, that's a hard shift. <laughs> In the coaching world, I'd be fired if I got here at the time that I started. But here in my job now, you start when you start, you go home when you go home. So there's differences between full-time jobs. Some things overlap and some things don't. But for me, there was a season in 2017 when I was about to graduate college, and I was working temporarily here at Bellevue. So I was a student at University of Memphis, and I had a temporary full-time job. 
So basically, I got hired in August temporarily, and in December, that was up. So Bellevue could trial run me for four or five months to see if they really wanted me full-time or if I was you know, going to go find a different job. And I remember those four or five months being some of the most <laughs> nerve-wracking months of my life. I was dating Hannah. I knew next year we would probably get engaged. I knew that marriage was on the horizon. And I loved The View, to be honest with you. I wanted to stay at The View. When I came here, I found a lot. I found God. I found my best friends. I found everything through this college ministry. And I wanted to stay full time. And I was nervous for those four or five months because I didn't know if I would. At that time, I was very young. So Bellevue hired a college pastor named Adam French. And I worked as his temporary college director. He wasn't from Bellevue, so he came from Nashville. And during those four or five months, I remember being anxious and being sick over in December. Would I have a full-time job or would I be job hunting And if I was job hunting, that meant a lot of different things. That means my church home was going to change. That meant possibly the city where I I lived was going to change. And that meant that I had to leave the ministry that God had used to change my life. So this was a nerve-wracking, anxious feeling to not know where I was going to work full-time. And I know many of you can relate to that. There's a lot of pressure and stress over where you're going to work, how you're going to get there, and is that going to be the right or wrong job. I was so nervous to mess it up. And Adam, praise the Lord, Could have hired anybody from Nashville from his old church that he wanted, but when it came time to December, he chose to hire me permanently. And so for me, I was very much relieved beyond belief. I could stay with The View. I could work full time. I was in Dakota's role now, and God had really provided. However, you know as well as I do, the time between, and hear me on this, the time between you pray a prayer versus the time it's actually answered can be a very brutal wait, can it not? Right, when you're asking for God to provide, and then you're in that season where you're waiting for him to, it feels like an eternity. And that's what those months felt like to me. And statistically, as we talked about this last, last week, for a lot of you guys, as you're trying to figure out what you're going to do full time, that wait has caused an entire generation to be extremely, extremely anxious. We're very afraid about choosing a career, very afraid about finding a job, and then ultimately, For your generation, you're very afraid about finding the right job and what you're supposed to do there. So tonight, here's my goal as we talk about work. My goal is to tackle a very specific topic biblically. Today's young adults, you and me, because I'm still in my 20s, barely, I've got six months left. We, on average, and hear me, it's a crazy statistic. We, 20-year-olds today, Change jobs every two years, okay? The statistic is believers and non-believers change jobs every two years. That's fast. That adds up to, for a lifetime, two dozen different jobs, okay? So you can imagine, I told you I've had four by 29. Statistically, I should have 24 by the end of my life, 24 different jobs if I keep going along the path that young adults go on. That's a long, long amount of jobs. Now, let's think about baby boomers. Let me give you a statistic for them. For baby boomers, they would change jobs every seven years. For young adults today, it's two years. For baby boomers, it's seven years. Here's the difference in total jobs. For baby boomers, that would mean six jobs for their lifetime. Six compared to 24 for you and me. If you go back older generations than the baby boomers, a lot of them would have one job for their entire life. Do you know what that means? That means in America, the work world has changed, and it's still changing COVID has changed it, that's absolutely for sure, and it's maybe not changed for the best. You and I have to adapt. We have to be ready for that. So there are some challenges that come with that, and one of the challenges is that our generation does not stay in a job. 
How do you navigate fears with your career? How do you navigate unknown waters, such as working full-time, providing for yourself, and providing a family? And what misconceptions do you and I believe that are hindering us from thriving in our careers after college? That's what I want to talk to you about tonight, because something is robbing today's young adults of peace and joy. So let's go to the Word. So as we talk about your first full-time job, we're going to look at Paul and what he says in Colossians. Now, as, as Paul writes here, he is talking about being under authority. As we talked about last week, last week we talked very clearly how it's, hey, when you're an adult and, you're under, and you have this freedom, your freedom is also under authority. But Paul is going to give a great exhortation tonight to the Colossians that applies to us and applies to your job and your future job. So look with me. This is Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. Paul says, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. Let me pray, and then I have two things for you tonight. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you so much that we have a space to gather every week to talk about how to navigate our faith in the real world. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus died for us. He died for our sins and he rose from the grave. And thank you, Lord, that when we repent and when we turn from our sins and when we confess you as Lord, we have a relationship with you that cannot be stolen. Thank you for a salvation that is secure, a foundation that can't be moved. And Lord, that we can know who we are in you and we don't have to go to the world for who we are. And Lord, I pray tonight that somebody on a sermon about career would give their lives to Jesus And Lord, I pray for all the college and young adults under the sound of my voice that we would walk out tonight challenged, convicted, but most of all, encouraged and exhorted to pursue you in the work world and with our life. So God, we love you. And if that's your prayer tonight, would you say amen? Amen. Well, let me give you a couple things tonight on this. Number one, don't worship your work. All right, number one, don't worship your work. I think the first thing we can pull from what Paul says here is that the work is important, it's necessary, but it is not the ultimate thing. What you do is not your ultimate goal, it's not your God. No, don't worship your work. New York City, the city that never sleeps, it's going 24-7, people are working around the clock. In our culture in America, we are very busy. We work a lot. (laughs) We put hours in. And the danger is work becomes an idol. I want to show you Isaiah 2, verse 8. It says this, Their land is full of idols, and they bow down to the work of their hands, what their fingers have made. So in today's world, with career and work, we have a big problem, and that is that sometimes our work and our career becomes an idol. An idol is anything you worship in place of God. So I want to ask you, your future career or what you're doing now or your school or whatever, is that an idol to you? Because the truth about idols is your idols become your identity. Your idols become your identity. That's why when we, it's not bad, but when we introduce ourselves in a room, especially when you are out of college, in college you tell people what are you majoring, people ask you what are you studying, when you're grown people ask you what do you do? Anytime my dad meets anybody his age, they always say, hey, how are you? What do you do for a living? That's the first thing we ask. And a lot of times our career has become so interchangeable with our identity that our work is who we are. 
But understand this, your idols become your identity. That's why I want to warn you tonight that what Paul says, he says whatever you do, really, and this is a 3,000-foot view, it really doesn't matter in the end. It's that you're honoring Christ in whatever you do, right? He says whatever you do for your career, whatever you do with your life, do it so that your heart is honoring God. So it's this idea that for you and me, our work would never be our God. If we're working for him, it never can be. Your idols become your identity. It's like the meme on the internet that says you go into a movie and you walk out and you are now the main personality of the main character. An entire generation went to see Spider-Man and walked outside of the theater thinking they were a superhero. I remember nine years old going to see Tobey Maguire. And 20 minutes after the movie, I was in my backyard jumping around doing this. (laughs) Nothing was happening. (laughs) I looked like I had a problem. (laughs) Neighbors didn't know I went to the movie. I'm just like doing this and stuff and like, you know. Acting like there's somebody there. Like you go to a movie, you see these superheroes as a kid, you idolize them, you come home, you think you're them. Why? Your idols become your identity. Really, they do. And so with work, if work becomes an idol for us, then our career and our work becomes our identity. It becomes who we are. Now, what that, why that's important is because your identity is where you find your self-worth. It is where you find your value. It is where you find, when you go to bed, your purpose, fulfillment, and your ultimate satisfaction. It's where your identity lies. That's why the Bible tells us to have an identity in Christ, that we are a child of God. Why? Because that that well does not run out. The well of (laughs) idolizing Spider-Man sure runs out. You grow up, no web comes out. You never get superhuman strength. You get your teeth knocked out. You realize I'm not Superman, Spider-Man. Money runs out. A career ends. You have to retire at some point or another. But the well of Christ for your identity does not run dry. There is endless supply of you being secure in who you are when you are found in Christ. It's an amazing thing for work to not become your idol. Now, here's the thing that I want to break down for you a little bit further. I lean into this. Don't miss this. I believe for your generation and for mine, what we are seeing happen today is that it's not, hear me on this, it's not just that we worship what we do. That's big picture. That's the quote that you hear on Instagram. But listen, it's not just that we worship what we do. It's that we worship what the work we do is supposed to bring us. It's that we have not made an idol out of our career itself. It's that we've been told for years, when you make something out of yourself, when you find your passion, when you do what you're supposed to do, you'll have happiness, joy, and fulfillment, and that that career or that stage of life or that title is going to secure you. So it's not just, hey, I idolize building or I idolize being a doctor. It's that, hey, being a doctor is going to grant me a sense of self-worth. It's gonna grant me fulfillment. It's gonna grant me a purpose, and I never have to wonder about my fulfillment again. I'll be satisfied. And I wanna tell you something. There is no job that can do that. (laughs) There is no boss that can do that for you. There are no coworkers that can do that for you. So what we have happen a lot of times is that we're not just idolizing the job, we're idolizing what the job is supposed to do for us. And we're hard-headed, so we try to push through and not believe God's word and still place our value in what we do, and that's why workaholics exist. Because as workaholics, we never rest, and we're always pursuing the next high or more money or more affirmation or the next promotion or the next thing come together that gives us a little bit of credit and glory. I want to tell you, there's an entire generation that had a bad habit of missing family dinners at home because they worked late every night. Do you know what they were sold on? The American dream. The American dream sells you on this lie. When you make something out of yourself, 
you'll be happy for the rest of your life. You know why that's so dangerous? Because <laughs> I, I, I realized at 21, and I hope you've realized it too, if work and career is my God, then I am worshiping myself because I'm worshiping what I can make myself into. And it becomes self-worship. And then the scary thing is you begin to be dependent on yourself for that value and that purpose and that joy. And what happens when you lose your job? What happens when your job becomes not fun? That's where our generation is right now. I cannot make myself into anything good apart from Jesus. If you let me have a stab at it, if I'm doing self-improvement, I'm just going to end up a more sinful version of myself from yesterday. If there is no hand of God, I am going to be worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Yet, when Christ gets involved, he begins to transform us. I've heard some students tell me before, when I get through med school and when I become a doctor, I'll be happy and I will have made it. I've heard that. I've heard people tell me before, hey, when I'm the pastor of my own church, I'll be happy and I will have made it and I won't have any issues. The problem with that is there are a lot of brilliant doctors who are miserable personally. <laughs> Listen to me. There's a lot of incredible engineers who have really broken personal lives. There are a lot of pastors who are very discouraged yet successful in the world's eyes. There are a lot of people who are authors, writers, singers, actors, who have these incredible talents, who have made something of their life, celebrities who have made something big of their life, and yet oftentimes they are the most depressed ones. View family, tell me, why do you think a lot of our celebrities who really do make something out of their life in America end up the most depressed ones? Why do you think? Why do you think the suicide rate is so high amongst even successful people? Because we climb this ladder of success and we work our way to the top and you get there and you realize there's no satisfaction for your soul in this world. You need Jesus. That's why you can have Paul who is in prison, beaten, no, no fame, no glory, no attention, and yet he can say at the end of his life, I have found the secret to being content. I'm not a celebrity. My skills and gifts aren't highlighted, but I've content in Christ. And yet you can have a celebrity who has all the money in the world and more depressed than any person living in poverty. It is amazing how fast we will chase after putting our faith in what we can do with our career. Even though career is not a bad thing, it is a bad God. Your career was made to be a career. Don't make it a God. Make it a career. Make it a career that does not make you bow down to it. Make your career bow down to God. I love this verse. You talk about the power of what Christ does. We say it every time we baptize. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. So if you and I agree that we cannot make an idol out of our work, then how do we get more specific with that? I told you last week, I don't enjoy sermons that are just 3,000 foot views. I enjoy breaking this down a little bit and having conversations with you. So here's one of the things I get asked the most by people who are your age. <clears throat> if you want to write this down, you can. A, is follow your passion bad advice? For, for the last number of years, seven or eight years I've done college ministry, I've had a lot of people ask me, how do I not allow my career or my work to become an idol? And when I walk through with them, what I just walked through with you, how career is a great career, but it's a bad God, they ask me this question, then should I follow my passion? Should I do what I love? Now, this phrase is very fascinating. This phrase blew up in the 1980s. Follow your passion 
In the 1980s and 90s, before 1980, this phrase was hardly found in literature. You found job, career, and love. But this phrase, and this is very fascinating, follow your passion was not found in literature before 1980. Now watch this. By 1990, it had skyrocketed to 1.5 million times that this phrase, follow your passion, was found in scripture. I mean, not scripture, found in literature. And then by 2008, by 2008, it was being used over 21 million times in English literature. Follow your passion has become the phrase of our lifetime. Follow your passion is what you and I have been sold on for the last 20 years. If you listen to a lot of motivational speakers on Instagram and YouTube, they will tell you, man, you got to follow your passion. You got to follow your heart. You got to do what, you know, makes you happy. The thing is, that's really, really bad scriptural advice. And you might not be happy with me tonight, but follow your passion is a really, really bad advice. Wow, Parker, how is that bad advice? Listen, I'll tell you. Scripturally, it's not good. I can't believe I, I can't remember if I put this on the screen or not. If not, then just listen to me. Maybe I did. I love this quote on it. It says, Passions are not logical. If everybody really followed their passions, society would collapse quickly. Nobody I know is passionate about picking up trash or cleaning toilets or fixing roads or driving delivery trucks. None of those jobs would ever get done. Everyone would be too busy trying to launch their singing, modeling, acting, and sports career with nobody left to form an audience. If everyone followed their passions, that would lead to all kinds of sin and even crimes such as crimes of passion. I love that quote. And when you talk about follow your passion, it's also almost the opposite of what Scripture says. Galatians 5 verse 24 says this. It says, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. What follow your passion really means to Gen Z is follow your heart. Scripture tells us about the heart very quickly in Jeremiah 17, verse 9. It says, the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? So what I would ask at your age is, does that mean I'm supposed to work a job that I'm not passionate about? Does that mean I'm supposed to be at a job that I'm not passionate about? And college students, let me tell you, maybe. <laughs> and that's a hard answer. And this is exactly the sermon that you and I need to hear. Listen, it is great if you have a job right after college that you are passionate about. But being passionate about your job is not a requirement to doing a job well. And the truth of the matter is, whether we're passionate or not, you and I are called to work. We're called to work. So let me ask you this. What happens if you graduate college and you find yourself in a spot where I was, where you don't have that permanent job nailed down? What do you do? Not work? What if you graduate and you're not sure yet what exactly you're going to do? Do you not work? No, for you and me, we're called to enter the workforce and do something that's productive and be an employee who, who gives honor and glory to God the way we work, whether we're passionate about it or not. I think about Paul in the New Testament, who's a tent maker. Was Paul passionate about tent making? <laughs> Did Paul ever say anything about tent making? Did he ever hype it up? Did he ever go on a rant about, man, I love these tents. I've been making them. They look good. They're incredible. No, tent making was his means to provide for the ministry that he was doing. And at the end of the day, what Gen Z needs to hear the most is that your job does not exist to fulfill you. Your job exists to provide for you. 
A job is quite literally somebody paying you to do something they don't want to do or they can't do. Man, this is a hard sermon. My goodness, this, you would never see this in a TED Talk, <laughs> ever. But scripturally speaking, your job is to provide. Provide for who? Provide for you. When you get grown, you're not supposed to be dependent on your parents anymore. You're supposed to be a grown adult, especially after school when you're working. You're supposed to provide for a family one day. You're supposed to provide for children one day. It's about providing. And man, if you are lucky enough that you find something that you're also passionate about, then praise the Lord. But at the end of the day, if you are idolizing being passionate about something in your job, you're going to have days, even with one of the best jobs, that is not fun, and you're going to burn out, and you're going to want to quit. That's why Gen Z rotates between jobs for every two years, because as soon as it gets difficult, we start to run. You and I are called to work. That's why Proverbs 14, 23 says, There is profit in all hard work. But endless talk leads only to poverty. And then a hard verse. Paul says this to the second Thessalonians. He says it to the Thessalonians. He says in chapter 3, verse 10, In fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to, eat, isn't willing to work, he should not eat. I've talked to employers who have hired some of our students before who have graduated. I've talked to employers at U of M who have sent people off and one of the things that keeps coming back about your generation and my generation is that we step into the work world with a big sense of entitlement. That our first full-time job should be our dream job. And what I believe, which you see statistically, is that a lot of Gen Z steps into the work world and they believe they should get a whole lot of freedom and a whole lot of creativity immediately. Yet that is earned over years and years and years of being faithful as an employee to work. For me, I remember when I was coaching, I was very passionate about the players. I was very passionate about leading practices and organizing them. Yet I didn't always get to do what I was very passionate about. 60% of my job went to washing jerseys. 60% of my job went to dust mopping the floor. 60% of my job went to one-on-one -on -one drills and doing stuff like that. There's so much in my job that I was not necessarily passionate about, yet I still knew God called me to be there. And I shared this with some of our volunteers a minute ago. For me, even as a pastor, I'm very passionate today about sharing the gospel with college students, yet a lot of my job is budgeting. <laughs> I do a lot of budgeting in my day-to-day -day job, and I'm not passionate about numbers. I'm not passionate about budgeting. The last thing I ever want to do is sit behind a desk and budget out for a college ministry. Yet as a part of my job, that's, that's part of what allows me to do the ministry that I get to do is budgeting for things like the dinner we're going to have tonight <laughs> so that you get to eat. <laughs> And I get to eat too. If you are pursuing a job you're passionate about, the minute that job is not allowing you to do something you're passionate about, you'll quit. If you have to work a job one day where you only do what you want to do, you're not going to be very successful in the working world. And when you go into it with an eternal perspective, when you go into your job thinking, hey, I'm not really here for me anyway. If I'm passionate about it, that's great. But what I'm most passionate about is God's kingdom, which means wherever I am, if I'm making tents, if I'm working in media, if I'm working as a pastor, if I'm working as a doctor, I get to bring glory to God's name, and you find fulfillment and you find contentment. So follow your passion is a very, very bad advice. What I do believe is that God gives us skills and talents and abilities that allow us to bring glory to his name, and you only find those out through pursuing him because he gave them to you. A big reason why a lot of us don't find what we're supposed to do sometimes is because we're not leaning in to the one who has made and designed us. I mean, quite literally understand that God gave you the gifts and talents and abilities and skills that you have. 
But have you spent the time with him to unlock what those are? Some of you don't even know yourself in Christ. You know yourself from a worldly standpoint, but some of you do not even know yourself in Christ. And that's why it's hard for you to navigate what he's telling you you're supposed to do. For so long, when I was your age, I looked at my skills and abilities not as, oh, this God gave me this, so here's how I'm going to use it as him. I looked at it as, oh, this is mine, so here's how I can make money. And when you look at it that way, you will chase a long, long, dark road. But if you realize, hey, these skills and abilities were given to me, and I'm going to use them for the one who gave them to me, you start finding open doors. You start finding things you really are passionate about. And when days get hard, it doesn't matter because God told you to be there. I believe it's far better to follow God's call than to just follow something you're passionate about because you and I can be passionate about sin. You and I can be very passionate about sin. I mean, that's why follow your heart and follow your passion is very, very bad saying because you and I can be very, very passionate about things that are bad for us. You can be passionate about drugs. <laughs> that's not good advice, man. Hey, tell me, what are you passionate about? I'm passionate about drugs. Oh, well, then just go be a drug addict. Do what you're passionate about. <laughs> but if you follow what God is passionate about, you find yourself doing what you're supposed to do. Lay your selfish desires down. Say, God, what do you want me to do? And so I get asked that a lot. I get asked about that. But then B, how do you actually define a dream job? And does it exist? I cannot tell you the amount of students who are graduating college and have sat down with me a month before graduating and said, Daniel, how do I find my dream job? And I said, man, let me know if you find it. Because <laughs> every job comes with hardships. Every job has trials. So let's take both concepts we've talked about so far. That work is not an idol to worship. And what you do for your work is not, is not always something you're passionate about. If you're passionate about it, that's great, but it's not always. And what does this mean with our dream job? Philippians 2.14 is very clear. If we have that verse, can we put that on the screen? Philippians 2.14 says, Do everything without grumbling and arguing. There's a bad habit that a lot of us have. Some of us are working part-time jobs now, and we understand this very clearly. Paul said in our text tonight that whatever we do for the Lord, we're supposed to do it with a heart that honors him. Complaining about our job or our boss is not a posture that is honoring to the Lord. It is sinful. Grumbling or disputing is sinful. Having beef and conflict with coworkers is sinful. That doesn't mean you walk out of your job just thrilled to be there every single day and thrilled about every single part of it, but understand that we are called to do everything without grumbling and arguing. So let's say hypothetically that you're called to be a sports broadcaster, and you know you want to be a sports broadcaster with your career. You know that's going to be your work. Some would say that would be a dream job, to be a sports broadcaster. The reality about it, though, is that there are so many layers to every job that are not a dream. If your dream job is only doing what you want to do when you want to do it, that doesn't exist. A dream job is serving the king, walking with Jesus. And if you have that kind of mindset about it, there is no job you cannot work and find joy and fulfillment in. 
But what God does when you pursue him, when you lean into him, when you spend time in his word, when you spend time in prayer, is he provides for you opportunities to get to know him more, to get to know your gifts more, and he opens up doors for you to do things you never would have thought you could do. I listened to somebody earlier tell me that they hate public speaking, and yet God has called them to teach. The only way they found that opportunity is because they began being obedient to God, even when it was outside of their comfort zone. I've said before, your greatest, God may call you to your greatest fear because it's going to activate your greatest faith. That quite literally, your dream job right now, what you would say it would be, is probably going to be different in five years anyway. So do you want to make the decisions or do you want to give it to the Lord and let him make those decisions? Every single one of us had a different dream job when we were seven years old. I told the, the team earlier I wanted to be a paleontologist and study dinosaur bones. I'd be miserable doing that now. I don't even know if I believe dinosaurs existed Wrestling with that theologically. <laughs> I've heard people tell me I want to be astronauts and all these things. And then you get older and you realize, man, you come to know Christ, you start walking with God, and you realize that he had a better plan than you ever did anyway. It's an amazing thing. So let's look at our text again, Colossians 3, verse 23. So Paul says, in light of that, in light of our career and our job not being an idol, in light of how we get to do things that we are passionate about, but a lot of our jobs still have hard tasks. If we love the Lord, if we cling to him, then on our good days and our bad days, we can still be faithful at our job and our career. That when nursing is good, we can be faithful. When nursing is bad, we can be faithful. When ministry is good, we can be faithful. When ministry is hard, we can be faithful. That the work itself is not an idol, but God is our God and we trust him. Let's look at what Paul says in light of this. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So number two, let your work be worship to a holy God. Let your work be worship to a holy God. So number one, don't worship your work. Work cannot be the idol. Even being passionate or enjoying it cannot be the idol. Those things run out very quickly. Just enjoying the work we do since we're called to work can run out very quickly. There must be a higher purpose. Don't worship your work. Don't have these unrealistic expectations as you step into the work world that you're only going to do things that are easy. Even number one, with not worshiping your work, remind yourself, don't step into the work world thinking that everything is going to go your way or that it's all about you. That's a fantasy. No, we live in a real world. We live in a broken world. And with our jobs, there's hardships and there's trials. So what do we do? Well, number two, what do we do is we let our work be worshiped to a holy God. Students, I cannot stress to you enough the greatness and goodness and glory of God to know you, to know your life, and to have a plan. Only in our culture do we have 23 years old as the age set where we should be in our job and our career for the rest of our life. That is not in the Bible, <laughs> It is not in God's mind or heart that he has to let you know what the rest of your life will look like by 23 years old. And aren't you grateful for that? Because <laughs> if I got everything I asked for at 23 years old, I'd be very unhappy at 29 because I didn't know what was good for me and I didn't know what God had for me. His path has been so much better. It is only culturally in America that we put this stand on ourselves that 23, we must have our dream job. At 23, we must be working a job that gives us unlimited creative creativity and freedom. At 23, we must know our career. No, what, what if you do a career for 10 years and then God comes in when you're 33 years old and says, hey, all of that was prepped for this. I have a new career for you and it'll be amazing, than you, more amazing than you ever thought. Would you want it? Would you want it? 
Or does your plan reign supreme? (laughs) Because God can give you a new calling at 33, at 43, at 53, at 63. He can expand what he has called you to do. Because at the end of the day, everything that you do with your hands, your heart, your feet, your life, all of it goes back to you were created by God to know God, and everything you do on this earth can bring glory to God. The way you eat, the way you drink, the way you serve can bring glory to God, and he has a plan. Which means at 23 years old, if you don't have your dream job, that's okay. Everybody take a sigh of relief with me. Here we go. Three, two, one. Isn't that nice? You don't have to have your life figured out by 23 years old. Everybody take a sigh of relief with me. (gasps) You are called today, though, to serve Jesus with everything you have. If you know everything about tomorrow or if you know nothing about tomorrow, everybody say amen. Amen. Isn't that nice? Because guess what, Tanner? That means every day that you wake up, your assignment is to make much of the name of Jesus and let him make much of your life. Too many of us spend way too much time trying to make much of our life, and we don't even know that Jesus we're claiming is the Lord of it. Lay down your passions. That doesn't mean you necessarily die to them. If it's a good and holy passion, give it to God and tell him to use it. If you have a passion for public speaking, I'm not telling you not to pursue public speaking. I am telling you, though, to say, God, I have a passion for public speaking. Take it, do with it what you will. Do with it what you will. God, I have a passion for reaching people who are unchurched and live in the heart of our city. Take that and do with it what you will, Lord, and let him shape it. If you have a passion for photography, take it to Jesus and say, Lord, this is my passion. I want you to use it. But if you have passions that are not of the Lord, lay them down. Don't let anything in your heart be more important than the one who formed your heart. (laughs) And that's the Lord. Let your work be worshiped to a holy God because... When you do get into your first full-time job and you have that first bad day, whoo, it's hard. It's hard. When you get into a job that you've been praying for and you're excited about it and you're like, ah, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm all on my own. I've got a paycheck and a paycheck is a lot better than part-time. And you got that first bad day and you start questioning, you're like, man, I don't know if I'm supposed to be here. It's hard. It's real hard to cling to the Lord in those moments because you start thinking, maybe I was supposed to do this. I got the wrong major. I got the wrong job. And next thing you know, you're off on a path of doubt and worry, and the enemy has grabbed a stronghold in your heart. And he starts to attack you. Instead, what I've seen for many of our students who have graduated from this ministry, they've gone into the working world. The Lord is number one, and they trust him with everything they're doing. And their job has elements that they love and they're passionate about and they use their gifts. And their job has elements that are really, really, really hard because it's a job. But even in the in-between, God's getting the glory. Let your work be worshipped to a holy God. Don't worship your work. Don't worship your passions. Don't worship what you think you're supposed to do with your life. Listen, if you've got a career plan, did God give it to you? Simple question. I'm not against career plans, but did God give it to you? Some, some in here have spent time with the Lord and could say, yes, Daniel, I've spent time with the Lord. The Lord's told me I'm supposed to do this, and that's what I'm pursuing. Man, praise God. Keep going. If God hasn't done that to you, what do you do when you graduate college? Well, get a job that you can bring glory to him to that has lost people there and share Jesus with them. Honestly, seriously. If you were a missionary in college, this would be easy to do that in the real world. Oh, there's the problem. We've said it so much. I get a lot of flack for saying it. It's not a popular statement. The only way to be prepared for the next season of life 
is to maximize the one you're in. I, seven years of college ministry, the number one reason why I see young adults struggle in the work world to be content in Christ is because they were never content in college. They wanted out, and they wanted out quick. I'm getting this degree. I'm getting through class. I'm getting this wedding ring, and I'm moving into that next season, and that next season can't do for you what Christ can do. See, if you're a missionary in college, when you get to your full-time job, it will be far easier to be a missionary. I guarantee it. If you disciple in college, it'll be far easier to disciple in college. And I'll tell you this, if you wake up in the morning and try to spend time with the Lord and pray and seek after him, when you get into full-time work, it'll be that much easier to pursue him then. Let your work be worshiped to a holy God, and you will never be, never be left empty. So what that looks like, A, first off, the work of your hands. Quite literally, the work of your hands. That what you do with your hands is not your God, but it is meant to give glory to God. One of those ways is providing for those in need. First John, I'll show you this verse. It's very stout. First John 3, verse 17 says this, If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Man, I hated washing those jerseys at Bartlett High School. The first time I got told to do it, I looked at my coach sideways. I was so insulted. I'm being honest with you guys. I'm just telling you my story. I was 21, 22 years old. I was like, I've made it on this coaching staff. I'm a legit coach. I've got the jacket and the shoes to prove it. I'm sitting on the bench. I was like, I've made it. And he told me, I remember the day he came to me because I was like, how dare you? I was like, I am a full coach. I will not touch dirty jerseys. I was entitled. I didn't know Jesus. He told me, he said, coach, I need you to do something. I need you to wash these practice jerseys every day. I need you to wash them and hang them up. This was 60 jerseys. We had 60 kids in the program. We had two JV teams, two freshman teams, 60 kids in the program, 60 jerseys. So I was getting there at 5 in the morning, 4.30 in the morning, washing these jerseys, hanging up, washing these jerseys, hanging up. And for the, for the first week, I was so bitter. I was so angry because I remember, like, man, I, I remember telling myself, I'm 22 years old. I'm working this job. It doesn't pay me much. Like, I became so entitled so quick. The minute you do something you don't want to do in your job, you just snap into this entitled entitlement. I was like, I'm doing this. I'm not getting paid a lot. I'm not getting to run practices. I'm having to wash these jerseys. And I, a couple months later, I gave my life to Christ, and he started transforming me from the inside out. And I remember going into washing the jerseys again. There was this long break from the season. So the season started back, and I knew Jesus. And I started washing these jerseys again. And I remember even as a Christian, the first week I had to wash those jerseys again for my job, I went into it, and I was so bitter and angry. I was like, gosh, I'm doing this again. Why am I washing these jerseys? I'm like, I'm better than this. And then immediately the Holy Spirit broke me, snapped me, just, I mean, grabbed my heart. And the Lord, as clear as day, louder than an audible voice, told me, how dare you? 22 years old, the Lord told me, he said, he said, how dare you look down on this task I have given you that is meant for you to give glory to me with? 
I remember opening up my Bible and reading that day and reading about God providing. And I remember being so convicted over the entitlement in my job, thinking that God had given me this amazing job, this amazing people to work with, this incredible opportunity. And here I am being a big, giant baby over it because I've got to wash some jerseys and I'm not passionate about washing jerseys. And the Lord told me, if you're not faithful with little, you won't be faithful with much. And I stood there staring at the jersey, almost crying, staring at this jersey at 5 a.m., shedding tears. I looked like a psychopath. (laughs) And from that day forward, I made this mark with myself. I said, when I wash these jerseys, I'm going to pray. So I told myself, because I could not tell myself, I I couldn't believe it. I couldn't tell myself I'm going to wash these jerseys and be happy. I was like, I can't do it. I'm not going to wash these jerseys and have joy. I know I can't. So I said, I'm going to wash these jerseys and I'm going to pray. Because if I'm praying while I do it, I can't feel entitled. (laughs) And guys, the time that God transformed my heart the most during coaching was that hour long I was washing those jerseys. God did things with me and my heart in that laundry room that he could not have done during a practice, during payday, during a game. He humbled me. He gave me a sense of gratitude for this job that I had not had. And I want to ask you, the Lord had to break me because I'm not humble enough to break myself. Very prideful. Even in your part-time job, even in your education, is it a privilege or do you feel like you're entitled to more? If you're getting an education, are you grateful that God's giving you that chance? If you have a part-time job, are you grateful to be there? Or is it just complaining and moaning all the time? And then one day in your full-time job, can you find God in the details? The work of your hands, don't underestimate it. The Lord can do a whole lot with it. Not only that, be the heart of your work. Be the heart of your work. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, Whatever you do, do it with a heart that is for the Lord. It's an amazing thing to realize when you look back on your life that where God placed you for high school was very purposeful and very missional. When you graduate college one day, you'll look back on college and you'll realize where God had placed you was very intentional and very purposeful because he was shaping your heart. And the highest goal of your job and your career is heavenly, not earthly. Jesus was very clear when he said, if you store up for yourselves treasures on earth, they will pass away. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven and they will never pass away. That whatever you do, you are called to be a missionary in that place. That your ultimate goal one day is not a paycheck. Because that's a very shallow way to live. If God gave you a job just for you to have a paycheck every week, that's such a shallow way to live week by week just to get by. But that God would love you so much that one day he'll put you at a job where you might be the only Christian. Where one day, right now, you got a college ministry, you got people around you, surrounded by believers. One day you may work a job where you're the only Jesus, there. 
And right now he's preparing you for that because those people, if they don't know Jesus, are on their way to hell. Hear me. The heart of your work, when you go into work with an eternal perspective, all of a sudden you're not there just to gain a paycheck or be happy. You're there to win souls to Jesus. That's what you were made to do. You were made to come to know Jesus and then take people with you to heaven. And your job will be one of the most number one ways you will be able to do it. You'll have a job one day, you'll have a family one day, and you'll have a hobby one day. A lot of times that hobby is done with friends who will probably be believers. Prayerfully, hopefully, your family will know the Lord one day. That means your coworkers are probably going to be the most important people that God places in your life who need Jesus. And if you have a heart like that, that leads me to see in my subpoints the work of heaven in an earthly job. The work of heaven in an earthly job. May you and I be so fortunate to do something for our career that most of the time we are passionate about. But even if not, if we do something that is miserable, the ultimate goal is to bring glory to God. And God is so good that he gives us skills and gifts and abilities to use that are fulfilling, but allow us to bring glory to his name. I read this quote. I will put this on the screen. I read this from the pastor. He had traveled a lot. He said this. He said, after traveling on mission to Haiti, Africa, village in the Amazon rainforest, the darkest mission field I've ever seen is corporate America. It's the place where your light can shine the brightest. Our workplaces need the gospel just as much as any village in the jungle. And here's the deal. You can pay thousands of dollars to go on a mission trip for a week, but you can also get paid to go to work every day and be on mission there. They literally pay you to be there, and your calling is to be a missionary. Corporate America, 2023. One of the greatest needs of the gospel. So if you are going into your job and your career, and you are going into it with misconceptions that it's going to make you happy, it's not too late to change that. If you're going into your job and you're not really sure if you're going to give it over to the Lord, if you're going to be a missionary or if it's about a paycheck, it's not too late. I don't care if you're a senior. I don't care if you're a master's student. I don't care if you're 29 years old. If you are not convinced that your job can be for the Lord, yet it is not too late. It can start now. And I'm telling you, what's so amazing about this, if I had sat down and listened to this sermon when I was your age, I would not believe me. This is the last thing I'm going to say. I would not believe me. If I had sat there when I was your age, I would have taken in this sermon. I would have said, yeah, okay, I'm going to do something that I'm all the time passionate about. I'm only going to do things I like. It's not going to be hard. I would not have believed me. But the real world is hard. It's amazing to live in, to be a missionary in. God is very faithful. He will take care of you when you're persecuted. But working it's hard. If you aren't clinging to Jesus, it can beat you up. But if you believe what the Bible says and cling to him, man, it doesn't matter what happens at your job. You will have joy for the rest of your life. And you will be a missionary who brings a whole lot of people to Jesus. I do pray tonight that you would hear this. Because <laughs> I do believe that when you graduate when you get your first full-time job and when you're about a year into it I believe you'll come back to me <laughs> some of you 
And you say, Daniel, I remember that sermon. And the Bible was right. Christ is enough. He has a plan for me. I don't have to bow down to comparison. I don't have to bow down to cultural standards. I can follow Christ, trust him with my job, and he will use it. He will bring glory to his name.